Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. I hope you're all right. I'm fine. I'm actually quite pumped to bring you today's episode to the point where I don't really want to talk about very much. I just want to get straight into it because I feel like there is so much that was said in this episode that is so important and I don't want to dilly-dally. So I am talking to Matt Haig. He is the great author of the best-selling novel Reasons to Stay Alive and he's written so many great books, The Humans, How to Stop Time, Notes on a Nervous Planet, but he also has an extraordinary book that is already getting rave reviews called The Midnight Library that comes out on the 29th in America. And I will let him explain what this book is about at the end of this podcast, but he is the voice of reason on the internet. He is who I look to in all of my darkest and most chaotic moments. He has dedicated his life to being so open about his own experiences with mental health, with suicide. And actually, I will offer a trigger warning here that we do talk about suicidal ideation or suicide uh, attempts in this podcast in a very informative and helpful and loving and shameless way. But it's definitely something I need to make you aware of in case you are feeling fragile and just not ready for that conversation yet. Maybe bookmark this for later. Um, But it is definitely a very helpful thing for me to have heard, having been someone who was, you know, in the past suicidal myself, but also someone who has been the carer for suicidal people. I just feel like there was so much helpful information and so much great content around how we shouldn't shame ourselves or shame one another for losing control of the way that we feel. And we don't shame ourselves for these same feelings around our bodies. So therefore, why do we do it when it comes to our mind? And Matt has a wonderful way of highlighting our kind of societal ignorance. And also he's a progressive. He's always thinking ahead of how we get better. He's always planning for what we need to do next rather than just in an outcry about what a mess everything is. He's a solutionist. And so we talk all about his mental health history, what led him to writing the book, Reasons to Stay Alive, which is one of the more important books in many people's lives. Uh, We also talk a lot about social media and the impact that it's having on all of us. And we we do touch on like cancel culture and call out culture and just the way that human beings speak to one another, including the way that we reflect upon our own online behavior and things in the past that we are both ashamed of and feel like weren't helpful in our work. It was a very, very personal uh, warts and all chat. Neither of us held back at all. And we have both been, I would say that incredibly vulnerable in this episode because even though we don't really know each other, uh, we have such a similarity in the fact that we are obsessed with bearing all and telling all of the truths we can as we're learning them so that everyone can learn on a journey together. We don't believe in perfection, we believe in progress. So please enjoy the episode. I know you will. If you aren't aware of him yet, follow him on Instagram, follow him on Twitter, read his books. He will just nourish your soul. I'm talking about the excellent Mag. My Lord, it's one of my favourite voices of our generation. It's only bloody Matt Haig. Hello and welcome to I Weigh. Hi, Jamila. That's very kind of you. Um, It's very nice to uh, speak to you again. Yeah, likewise. Um, Thank you for giving me your time. I know you are very, very busy promoting your new book, Midnight Library, which we're going to talk about later. How are you doing during this odd year? I'm doing okay during this odd year. I might... uh, 
mental health has been a bit weird on and off. But I mean, in terms of my actual life, not masses has changed compared to lots of people because I, I work from home and um, we homeschool our kids. And um, yeah, so we're luckier than most people and we haven't had to do that many things that we would feel uncomfortable with. But yeah, just psychologically, as someone who has health anxiety and um, general anxiety anyway, and is prone to getting addicted to the news and just the general catastrophizing, it's been a kind of perfect storm for everyone in that sort of mindset including myself so yeah i'm just like yeah surviving 2020 mm-hmm. and how has your mental health me. felt specifically worse is it just the anxiety the things you mentioned well the thing is in march um and february when it really started to kick off i was in a massive mental health dip anyway um which was totally not related to covid and then COVID sort of came in at the worst possible time for me, self- selfishly, personally. And um, yeah, so I, I just fell into total sort of like hypochondria, uh, but also hypochondria for other people. I was like panicking about my parents. I was panicking about my partner. I was uh, panicking about my kids. I was just I was just useless. I was just useless to absolutely anybody around me. Um, and that lasted for about uh, a few weeks. And then during actual, like in the UK, when we had proper full-blown lockdown I totally calmed down I I literally I felt it was almost good for my mental health at that Mm. point because so much had been taken away it was like the acoustic version of life and it was like a life edit that I hadn't planned or asked for or none of us had but it was actually kind of good and necessary and I wasn't having to do commutes to London I wasn't having stressful pointless meetings I was just having time with my kids I was having time at home and that felt really nice that period I feel we're in another sort of uncertain period currently where everyone's on a kind of different track and got different views about um, how dangerous or not COVID is and whether we should be wearing masks and all this nonsense. So um, that I found that stressful because not everyone's on the same page. Yeah. But, you know. It's heading us towards what is potentially going to be another stressful couple of months of further Indeed. lockdown during yes. Christmas time, which will be the least fun time for anyone to have to be isolating on their own. Um, you have always been so astonishingly frank online with when it comes to your mental health, even when you cancel like a mini tour you are always so upfront with your followers and tell them that it's because you are suffering with your mental health. You never make a different excuse. And because of that, I think so many of us have found great solace in your work and your words. Uh, it's been another, for many unfortunate reasons, your your book, which was already such an epic bestseller, Reasons to Stay Alive, which I can't wait to talk to you about. Um, that book has come back in such a big way and so many people are buying it. Bookstores are running out of it constantly and this book has been out for years uh, because people need to hear more rhetoric um, that is hopeful but also brutally honest around mental health. You are such a master of empathy, in my opinion, and and also just such frankness in a way that it feels almost impossible to be embarrassed when reading your work. So I really appreciate your contribution to the mental health community. Well, I really appreciate your honesty and frankness um, on all kinds of issues, and <laughs> including including mental health. And uh, no, I think it's great. I think we need more honesty and more frankness and openness. And I hope it just encourages other people because I didn't always used to be like this. I used to be someone who used to make up any excuse. You know, I've had fake food poisoning. I've had, you know, loads of times I've just sort of, in sick for any other reason and it was only through writing directly about it um that gave me the confidence and I, I do acknowledge that I'm privileged I haven't got an employer who's going to fire me because I, I I'm mentally unstable as I've sort of written books about me mentally unstable so um yeah but I, I just think I think we're not progressing that far really in the mental health conversation I think we're talking about mental health a lot but there's just so much talk is stigma building and um yeah you see it all the time like heated political debates on any subject you know we'll be dismissing each other on grounds of mental health and i yeah i I find that kind of ugly and that happens on both sides of the divide as well which is a bit depressing 100 percent. um it's interesting that you talk about food poisoning uh, as your excuses because (laughs) for for most of my life i've been mentally ill and that has been always my number one go-to because there's just something about And I, I go one step further 
and I say diarrhea because it just shuts down all further questions. No one wants yes, to know. That's true. No one wants to hear about it. Everyone immediate is immediately mortified for you and somehow themselves. <laughs> and uh, it's just like an instant get up for. So anyone who I've yeah. ever given that excuse to, um, I didn't have the shits. <laughs> I yeah. just didn't want to come. Um, anyway, I uh, I really appreciate that. And yeah, I th- what do you think have been the greatest struggles for lockdown? Without wanting to hammer home the absolute obvious, but you know what I mean. What are you finding that people... Do you think it's that we are too attached to our uh, devices and they are robbing us a little bit of empathy? Because that's truly what the blue light does. It stops your brain yes. from producing empathy or happy chemicals and messes your brain, stops your sleep. Stops your sleep. That's really bad. Yeah. I mean, I've li- I've literally had to force myself away from my phone and put it in the kitchen overnight. So I don't have, I don't do bedtime scrolling now because that used to be my my killer. I mean, Same. it's bad enough in the day, but I, I noticed I was getting like um, a lot bad eyes and drying. And I, I realised it was because I was just on my phone even more yeah. than I had had been in 2019. I was just on my phone all the time and and it wasn't necessarily social media it was more like news addiction of a doom start. addiction just, i feel like we all have yeah it's like oh doom. god what's happened now a fire nado <laughs> oh god um so yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you're in california where it's all going on yeah. but um i just have to look yeah. outside the window yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah so i had that totally and i i think that's a big thing obviously but I think it almost goes to a sort of deeper existential level because I feel like we have we're in this time of total sudden uncertainty where it's made us all find it really hard to plan the future in any meaningful way and we've had sort of you know even things like you know whether it's the new James Bond movie not coming out or something it's just like all these things that we we just take for granted that there's going to be a cinema to go to a restaurant to go to and then suddenly all these sort of staples of modern existence mm-hmm. were, were just were, it, it showed how vulnerable civilization is all of a sudden and it made therefore us who invest so much in this modern um civilization feel suddenly uh, very fragile and it made everything like uh, feel kind of apocalyptic and I think that had a big psychological effect one thing that's really helped me in lockdown I've been reading a lot I'm, I'm not really a religious person but I've been reading a lot about Buddhism and there's a, a great uh, American Tibetan Buddhist called Pima Chodron who has written a book in the 90s called When Things Fall Apart and it's great uh, about uncertainty and about accepting sort of suffering and despair as part of the same whole as joy and contentment and everything else. And she thinks the problem in sort of Western culture, the reason, one of the reasons why we have so many sort of existential crises on an almost daily basis is we almost expect the world to be free from suffering and misery. And we almost feel entitled to a sort of permanent state of happiness and contentment, which wasn't really ever ours or wasn't really a human thing. So no, neutral is probably the only realistic. Yes. And all the other things. We're also yeah. only able to appreciate them in comparison to one another, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I also, you know, in my own life, I don't know about you, but often my worst experiences um, years later or maybe even just months later have turned out to be pretty fertile in, in some other way. And I've been sort of, so there hasn't been much that I, you know, I wouldn't want to live through suicide or depression again. No. But but I'm, I'm, I wouldn't want to press a button and to have never had it. Now it's in the past because all kinds of things came out of that a sense of gratitude came out of that, a sense of being able to cope with neutral existence. Yeah, I was talking about this with Joe Lysett um, on a different episode recently where we were just saying that actually he and I personally have quite enjoyed ourselves being in lockdown because we mm. realised we were over- hyper-socialising and going out not giving ourselves uh, chances to process our meetings or conversations or work. Um, I, for one, now go to a dog park for three hours every single day, every single evening. And I live next to this gorgeous park that makes me so happy that I haven't been to in five years. I've lived right near it and I've not been in five years. I've just denied myself this wonderful thing because I was just on this fucking rat race (laughs) and also just like all hiding in my house. And now I just don't take it for granted. I think I will keep that up forever. I don't think I'm ever going to let anything take away my dog time to watch a bunch of dogs like 
give each other just unexpected blowjobs in the park. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. the love that they have of balls not actual uh, bollocks uh, as in the uh, yeah, as in yeah. a tennis ball you know it's just so full of joy and just there's so much kind of humanity and like animal yeah. and man and nature I think it's great um, yeah my dog's calmed down in lockdown I don't know if that's because Maltese terriers are meant to have separation anxiety and, and she's had no separation from us so she, yeah. she's totally chilled out she's like yeah she she meditates now and she's well we're all fucked she, when the world comes back and the dogs are just <laughs> shitting everywhere to get back at us um i want to talk to you about reasons to stay alive will you talk to me about what this monumentally important book uh, was for you and what it's about uh, Reasons to Stay Alive was the book I was closest to not writing. It was a book I was scared to write. It's a book I, my publishers didn't want me to write. Uh, it's a book I wasn't given much money for. It's a book that um, I, people tried to talk me out of writing. Um, it was meant to be a very small book. It was a book I felt... I should write after a conversation with a friend who works in publishing, n- not a part of my publisher, but she said, oh, y- you should write it. I said, yeah, but I'm not like a A-list celebrity. I'm not like a person who's had a massively unique traumatic experience that caused my depression. You know, there's no story. There's no capital S story to it. What, what's the point of me? Right? And she said, because of that, people will relate to it because there isn't always a clear-cut backstory to depression or panic disorder or OCD or those things. And sometimes part of the hell of a mental health problem is you don't know the trigger. You don't actually know what got you into that hole. So therefore, you don't always know what can get you out of that hole. And that, that for me, is what made me suicidal at the time. So I, I saw her point. And, but then, even so, I didn't know how to write it. Um, I didn't know whether it should be a memoir. I didn't know whether it should be a self-help book. I didn't know if it should be something in between. And I, I tried to forget what kind of book I was writing. I tried to even forget I was writing a book. I tried to just remember me when I was 24 years old, in Ibiza, um, living and working there with my girlfriend. And it was our third summer then. And when I had this total breakdown in September, 21 years ago this month, um, I tried to just think what would have helped me, what words would have helped that 24-year-old person who literally, I don't even, I mean, I say I was suicidal, I was suicidal, but it wasn't a death wish. It was just, I literally, I have no fucking idea how I go on to tomorrow feeling exactly like this mm-hmm. today. There was no break from it. There was no off switch. It was 24-7. It, it, was, it ruined my sleep. It ruined my waking life. It was just a total nightmare that I was trapped in and I was claustrophobic. And it, it was hell. And I didn't realise even that I was experiencing depression. I didn't... I, I was so illiterate about um, mental health. I knew obviously the words depression. I knew the word anxiety. But people weren't really talking about it back in 1999 and 2000. Um, it was kind of just the thing that other people had. My view of mental illness back then was you were either a sane person, a normal inverted commas mm. person, or you were a mad person. So I realised I wasn't anymore a sane person. So I thought, oh my God, that's it. I'm going to be in a straitjacket. I'm going to be in a padded cell. This is what mental illness is. That's yeah. how c- crude and binary my thinking was. And um, yeah, uh, so I was trying to write this book that would hack into that brain to try and give them some belief in a future self that is thankful that that person didn't die. Yep, I'm all about that. All about educating people that sometimes, sometimes, I mean, some people have like true suicidal ideation, but I know that in my own like history of depression, anxiety, uh, OCD and and suicide attempts that I had made in the past, that for me, it wasn't like a long, drawn out, planned thing. It would be a day or an hour of such panic where it was just like, sort of stop the world. I want to get off. I truly, you know, I think I've heard you talk about it as the difference between not just generally wanting to jump out of a window, but oh my God, the room's on fire. I have to jump out of the window in order to get away from the room being on fire. Um, And I think that it's important to understand that both can exist that it's not yes. always this planned, long, no. sad, drawn out. Sometimes it's it's just instantaneous panic. And I think that because you and I both had experience with that, I guess we've kind of taken it upon ourselves as our duty to remind people that what if you just hang on? 
But yeah, if you just totally. keep going, what could happen? Th- yeah, I mean, the thing I remember, the scary thing I remember is I was in, you know, because people think of Ibiza as like a party island, a crazy place. We were in a very, very quiet part of Ibiza on the East Coast. And we were on a in a villa uh, on a clifftop overlooking the most beautiful Mediterranean view. You've got these limestone cliffs. And I was looking at that view and I just thought, it's utterly meaningless. I will never, ever be able to appreciate beauty or anything good in my life at all. You know, I'm literally here. I'm living in Spain in a nice villa. I've got a beautiful girlfriend who I love and I've got all these things and I literally... I can't get out of this painful state. And, you know, so because of the location on the cliffs and everything, I I just was, you know, urging myself to die. And um, I I genuinely still don't know exactly how or why I I made it through that week. There was a trip to a medical centre where I was prescribed diazepam, but that I'm not anti-medication at all and diazepam works for lots and lots of people but in my subjective experience in that moment the diazepam made the panic attacks worse and yeah so I should I I was just given the wrong pills for me in that situation but um yeah so I don't know but I, I did live and I lived long enough to see some sort of fluctuation and I think as soon as you see a fluctuation not not a moment of happiness but a moment of not feeling that pain Mm -hmm. you realize there can be other moments where you're not um, feeling like that. I don't know if that was how you experienced it, but for me, the thing of feeling of being trapped is thinking it's never going to get better. It's never going to get better. I'm always going to be in this sort of yeah. crap place. And um, yeah, that's what's dangerous. Well, you think you're in a life sentence. And I think that yeah. that's that was the hardest thing for me. It was just like, oh, fuck this. I can't keep going like this. And I did somehow find the the motivation to keep going and it wasn't much motivation but I tried my best to keep going and in doing so embarked upon this really ruthless journey of changing everything in order to save my own life um so what were your reasons to stay alive um my reasons to stay alive were in that moment, you know, in that moment, I will be honest, I had no reason to live that I could see yeah. in that moment. My All my reasons to stay alive kind of come with hindsight. And my the fact I stayed alive then, you know, it's easy to say, well, I had people who loved me and I had a support network, which is kind of true. I did have parents and I did have a partner who were the only three people in the world who knew what I was going through. Yeah, but your logic um, brain isn't working in that moment. Do you know what I mean? That's log- not the lobe that's kicking in. Absolutely, Jamila. And I was just like thinking, actually, that was almost an incentive to go the other way because I was like, I'm a burden on these people. I, it would be selfish of me to stay alive. You know, I can remember like, you know, after Robin Williams' death, people talking about selfishness because he had a family. And it's like, it's just such a misunderstanding of what de- depression can do. You, you, I would, I was feeling selfish for being alive. That's that's how mm. ridiculous it was. And that's how, how much depression can lie to you. I, I was literally sort of wallowing in the state of everyone would be better off without me. And I'm just going to be this sort of black hole that sucks everyone in. And it's just, yeah, a horrible, horrible thing. Um, my, my reason, you know, when I'm asked the question now, like uh, I was at an event last year in London and I was asked, you know, yeah, but you had a girlfriend, you had a parents, you had some sort of support, you had people you could talk to. What would you say to somebody who's got nobody at all or feels they've got nobody? How do you stay alive for other people if you've got nobody? Mm-hmm. And I was saying, I, I, I really struggled with that for a while and but I now think the answer to that question is that you still stay alive for other people, but those people, other people aren't the people in your life at that moment. They're not even other people that will exist in a future moment. They're you. They're other versions of you. I am a different person. I am still me. I've still got memories of that time, but I'm such a different person to mm-hmm. who I was at 24. And that experience was part of the experience that made me a different person. And there's so many different versions of me in life um, that aren't all identical. That, you know, and each one of those is grateful for that 24-year-old who stayed alive. So you stay alive for those other... For the person you're going to become. 
yeah, not necessarily for, for others, for sure. Yeah. I'm, so. I'm, um, yeah, I, I, so many of the things and people that were in my life at that time are now gone. And so it's this whole different existence, whole different human, whole different way of moving through the world. And that's the person that I yeah. have ended up being glad I stayed alive for was me. And I think we need to be better at learning that you yourself are important and everything else yeah. is just cake. Humans and companionship and all these different things are important, but maybe sometimes our mental health is a way of letting us know that the current life that we're living isn't working. And maybe these just aren't the right people, or maybe I need to shift something or change something in order to meet my tribe, my people. And I've definitely met more soulmates, you know, and friends and, you know, a better relationship in this new version of myself when I've just yes. sort of dropped the layers of, you know, one of the best things you ever said, something you said once, which I quote all the fucking time is depression gave me fake news. You said that on Twitter and it just moved yeah. me so much as the first time I've liked those two words used together. Um, and I think that is one of the greatest ways of putting it is that it just lies to you, it lies to you about your worth. It lies to you that things can ever shift and change in any meaningful way. And it lies to you that you even deserve that often. Yeah. It's Fox News for your brain, isn't it? It's just, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're just the negative, you know, it's just, and it's negative so hyperbolic as well. Yeah. 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 Well, for news headlines I had in my head was, you are going to be dead by the age of 25. Andrea's going to leave you. This is going to happen. Everything, everything's shit. You're going to, if you, if by some miracle you're still alive, you are going to be totally mad, you know. You, An I'll unbearable what, to live around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I grew up watching One Flew Over Cuckoo, uh, the Cuckoo's Nest, and I, I just thought that's what it was. I was just going to be in some mental asylum, and yeah, just... And none of those things happened. So. No, you talk a lot about self-stigma, that you're like, while there is a lot of society... Um, a societal stigma rather there's also a lot that we stigmatize ourselves in I want to press a little bit further into what you mentioned of you know I am a straight white privileged male I am slim I have a loving girlfriend I don't have a significant trauma from my background what like an event necessarily that I can trace my tr my my feelings or my pain back to like I don't have this big dramatic story I'm just sad and I yeah, don't I, necessarily know exactly why I'm so sad. And I feel like that the lack of that conversation is yes. devastating. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, one of the heavy things about depression, one of the things that makes it worse is guilt. And so when, when you're there and you haven't, well, I mean... At the time, I, I did have a little bit of financial worry, but it wasn't like I was a 24 year old who just left university. It was a kind of normal thing. Yeah. I, and everything was, you know, everything was um, generally kind of, kind of good. Uh, you know, I'd been to university. I had middle class parents. I was white male heterosexual person with no no one stigmatizing me externally i had no prejudice to overcome i you know i i was mr privilege mr entitled and then this happens and you, you kind of want a reason you you kind of you suddenly feel like a victim because your your head is literally destroying you and you'd rather be anyone else you'd look at anyone else you'd look at a 90 year old person in the street and you'd want to sort of change into their mind mm -hmm. so you literally jump out of yourself and yet out externally you're this 20 something person with your whole life ahead of you yeah uh you know your parents still alive there's been no no inciting incident you are your own drama and you you, you know that you brought it on yourself that's how you feel even though it's, it's it almost makes you feel madder doesn't it it almost makes yeah. you feel more like like as if you are even sicker because then you've just like almost fi like created it it's fiction and it's something that you yes. have made yourself rather than being able to, there's something, I guess, like maybe uh, a relief to being able to trace it back to a trauma. You know, I, uh, I'm i in a relationship with someone who struggled severely with his mental health. And when we first got together, I remember him being so reticent to accept it because his childhood wasn't as bad as my childhood. So there was a part of him that was just like, well, I can't, I can't be. <laughs> I don't deserve to feel yeah. this bad. Like I'm, I'm yeah. weak. I'm wrong because I didn't have as bad a child. And I used to constantly just reassure him that like, this isn't how the brain works. 
This isn't how our chemicals work. This is such a disaster. And I feel yeah. like so many people who don't have a visceral like trauma or a disability or some sort of, you know what I mean? Like they weren't, didn't go have one massive event feel so, A, like it's harder to find yeah. the explanation for why you feel this way, but also like they find it hard to accept it and they don't feel like they deserve empathy, care, support. I, I used to fantasize that I blacked out something. I used to think that yeah. I, you know, there'd been some Catholic priest or there'd been some incident yeah. that I couldn't couldn't remember. I'd been abused as a child or something, which didn't happen. But I, I, I used to, I used to think, wouldn't it be convenient? It, it, wouldn't yeah. it make my, my brain make more sense? I obviously don't, now I'm rational. I'm not mentally ill. I don't wish that had happened to me. But when you're looking for a narrative, um, you want it. I mean, I'm not saying my uh, childhood was perfect. You know, I was a bit bullied at school. Um, you know, I had certain sort of uh, behavior. My mum had postnatal depression. My mum's got a lot of anxiety because she was adopted. So she doesn't really know who her parents are. And a lot of her insecurities and separation anxieties were passed down to me mm-hmm. um and she's acknowledged all of that stuff as well but no i mean generally speaking i had kind of a, a happy childhood i wasn't always necessarily a happy person within that childhood you know there's a bit of self-harm i've got a mole on, on my cheek which when i was like a teenager of a certain age all i could see when i looked in the mirror was this mole yeah which, which i i now look back at photos of me as a teenager I thought, where's the mole there's no what are you worried about yeah. this thing on your face for but i once like got a toothbrush and tried to rub off the mole on my face until it's because i wanted a scar on my face rather than a mole i thought a scar was more manly to have and so i obviously wasn't right but no one was really um telling you otherwise yeah exactly and also no one is more and people are less likely to ask you if you're okay yeah that's another really interesting thing about privilege so like you know even in spite of my childhood and like the fact that i am a brown woman and i've had a disability and like all this trauma um because when i was at the peak of my mental my my nervous breakdown i was famous and i was thin And I was, you know, sort of like glamorous. deemed pretty glamorous, and glamorous. Yeah. yeah. And I was on the cover of magazines and I was a DJ. So no one actually asked me if I was okay. People would come in with, oh my God, is everything just great? And then you just feel like such a prick if you're not like, yeah, because you've got money, you have access to all these different things. And so then you just end up holding it all inside and no one's saying to you, oh God, is this a bit hard and weird? In fact, I now make it my business to, as soon as I see someone win an award, uh, I'll walk up to them and just be like, it's okay if you don't actually feel anything right now. And if this hasn't made you as happy as you thought it would. Uh, and they normally like grab me and look me in the eye. These like wide eyes going, thank you so much. I was so worried that I'm dead inside. Or if they are, you know, rising very fast in, in fame or they're being dragged on the internet, like I'll reach out to them privately and just be like, you all right? because no one asks no one no one reaches out to you and so you don't reach out for help yourself and so it's just this sort of blame culture yeah and I think yeah, at a deeper level, it's important that people... I don't think people should be going around and, uh, you know, raising money for poor celebrities um, no. to, go to, the pri- to go to the Priory and have longer in rehab in Arizona or whatever. I don't think that... But what I do think is interesting is the fact that we... The, the assumption that this... Uh, whatever fame brings with it or whatever money brings with it is somehow salvation. It's damaging not just to celebrities. It's damaging to everybody. It's damaging to... You know, I mean, this whole... Rea- you know, and it's before social media. This predates social media. This this goes back to, you know, the start of, like, reality TV or whatever. This idea that normal life is something you need to be saved from. And there's going to be someone like Simon Cowell waving a wand and you, you'll, you will escape your, you know, not horrendous upbringing, but your ordinary life is, you know, with a record contract and you will, you will reach this other land of red carpets and paparazzi and everything will be sparkly and golden and wonderful. And that's not just something celebrities experience. That's just like the culture we're in. It's like everyone feels, and everyone now is a kind of celebrity within their own world because of uh, social media accounts and this, that, and that. Everyone's presenting themselves. They're magazines of themselves on Instagram or whatever. Even if you've got like, if you've got a million followers or you've got like 300 followers, we're all doing essentially the same yeah. thing, I think, on I, just different scales. I remember you and I talking yesterday about the fact that 
one of the most devastating things can be when you get the things that you thought would make you happy and you realise that they don't. And that yeah. is just like such an interesting, and a lot of people will never have the privilege to even find that out. They'll never get that car or win that award or <sighs> get like get that person or get that body, this, that and the other. But um, I can say that like one of the most, one of the shittest parts of sometimes getting the things that you want and that you thought would make you happy is the realisation that you don't. And then you're like, fuck, I'm back at square one. And in fact, when people are fuckers to me in this business, like people who are competitive with me or ruthless, and you know the, the types who would just step over your dead body, who wouldn't piss on fire to put you out mm. because they have their eye on the prize so hard and they're so competitive and so obsessed with their own position in this industry. The thing I wish for them the most <laughs> is to win that big award. I'm like, I fucking hope you win that award because you're going to realise it doesn't mean shit all. No one's going to remember tomorrow, you stupid asshole, and you're going to. And you're then going to realise, oh my God, I made everyone's lives miserable. Or even just Jamila Jamil's life fucking miserable <laughs> because I was so obsessed with this award that means nothing. It doesn't change your life at all. All the shit that I had, I'm so grateful for it, but mostly I'm grateful for the for the realisation at 26 that it wasn't going to save my life, that I still would have to save my life just the same way as anyone else. There's no shortcut. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you had it quite young, didn't you? You yeah. were you were you you were a, a fa- famous person quite young, and I think that probably yeah, I was twenty two, I think, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but I mean, with me, I mean, my sort of like privilege is different. With me, like I literally, as a struggling writer, I thought when I get money, um, you know, it will be better, it will be different. And the only thing, the only worry money uh, fixes is financial worries. Mm-hmm. You still have. All the other worries, and what happens when you, you when you solve one worry? I think is if you if you're prone to anxiety and worry anyway, the other other worries which were slightly lesser when you had the money worry, they'll rise up and fill the money worries place. So there's always almost the same quantity and capacity mm-hmm. for anxiety in any sense. And I remember thinking as well that all I wanted was a, like to have my name on a book and be published. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even have to be out on the tables in a bookshop. It, it, it can just be there as a physical thing that like one other person in the world reads and connects to. Yeah. And then I'll be happy. Yeah. And I, I, I really remember thinking, yeah, but that might not stay. And I said, I made a promise to myself, no, you've got to stay being grateful for being like a pub. And that lasts about a week yeah. max <laughs> when you get a publishing deal. And then like, then you want to be a bestseller. Then you get a bestseller. Then you like, no, you've got to be number one bestseller. Then you want the sort of film rights. Yeah. Then you want the fi- film made. Then you want it to be a good film. Then there's no end to, there's always a, the level for goalposts can move very quickly. So you have to realize that happiness comes from somewhere else. And yeah, you can get a thrill and it adds color to life having successful achievement. I don't want to belittle that because, it's great and occasionally if you see it but if you put all your investment in going to a fancy party or being a number one bestseller or living in that house yeah 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 if 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 you you define you see yourself how others see that's when it becomes dangerous when you feel like oh you know if i get um I don't know, a few hundred thousand followers on Instagram or whatever, then uh, that will sort of embolden me. It never does. It actually weakens you because you, you, you've you placed your sense of self-esteem at the hands of external uncertain things, which, uh, you know, fundamentally makes you more fragile, not less Tot- fragile. Totally. Investing in anything outside of yourself is really, really dangerous, even if it's a person that you love. You've got to, like, it's it's such a cliche, but the cliches are a cliche for a reason. You know, I've seen you talk a lot about, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and, like, these things are true and that time is a great healer. You know, these are some of the great lessons that you've learned over the course of Uh, your life. All all the... All the cliches, but they're all cliches for a reason. Because, yeah. like, since, since like, Neolithic cave people days, they've had moments of despair and realising that, you know, they, they won't necessarily get attacked by wolves next Friday. And, uh, you know, things aren't always as bleak as they seem. And we've always had that. I mean, we've got new problems now. Yeah. Like, every, every age has its problems. But we didn't invent mental health problems. So. No, for sure, for sure.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. I also think it's really important that for anyone who's struggling out there to understand that mental health is not a destination. It's an ongoing journey. And so if you took a big dip this year like I did, then there's nothing wrong. Like I came, I had this massive nervous breakdown. I was 26. I tried to kill myself, blah, 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 blah. Um, I hadn't done that in like nine years. So I just I was like, oh, I've hit rock bottom. And you only ever hit rock bottom once. So now it's only going to be up from here. And I'll never fall again. And I've learned all my lessons. And now I am unbreakable. I'm Bruce Willis. Um, although actually he's <laughs> very break is he no I don't remember <laughs> anyway no yeah I'm Bruce Willis um <laughs> so I uh so I was absolutely stunned to see that when I was being sort of like hounded and trolled and everyone was com- like saying that I contributed to the death of a friend or which I had nothing to do with or they were saying I had munchals and they're saying I was lying about my sexuality lying about cancer lying about this that, and the other just like going after me in such a personal way. It wasn't about not approving of me or thinking I was annoying or not liking me or following me online. I don't give a fuck about that. I don't care about people's opinions per se. But when I was being gaslit, it triggered this like mm. part of my child trauma that I clearly hadn't worked on yet or worked on enough. And I became suicidal again in February. And I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. Mm. I didn't even tell any of my friends until maybe like a month ago because I spent yeah. five months just like so mortified that I was like, me? The great doer of therapy? <laughs> the one who overcame yeah. all of these things? How can I get back here? And I, um, there was no, I, I had no empathy towards myself. I was just like, oh God, I fucking failed. Everything I've said about getting better is a lie. It wasn't. I did get better. But shit happens and you fall yeah. again. And that's being human. You are never just immortal. You're never like impossible to hurt. You can be hurt again. And what's important to focus on, which very rarely do we ever think about is how fast are you getting out of it this time? Because this time it's been five months. Last time it was two years. Another time it might be one year if I go through this again. But I came back out. I had all the mechanisms. I knew Mm. what to do this time. Yeah, I understood it this time. I I had the language for it. So I've still made progress. 
I just haven't reached yeah. the top of the mountain because fuck, will I ever? Does anyone ever? And if they do, do they stay there? No. No, that's one of the things that was most dangerous for me was when I thought I was better. Because when you think, because because I had this idea that you're either ill or you're better. And then you believe you're better because it's comforting to believe you're better. And then you have another panic attack. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if, if you hadn't believed you were better, it would have just been a panic attack. But believing I was better meant having a, a panic attack. That was like a drop of ink going into a glass of water and then suddenly the whole water goes dark because yeah. it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not a well person. So I'm, I'm an ill person again. And, and then the panic happened, then the depression happened. And then, yeah. And it's so, it's so much, you know, so when people say, are you feeling better? And I say, no. They, they, they then sort of tilt their head and look sympathetic. And it's like, no, but that's, good because it means I see my mental health as this continual state of flux rather than this fixed state and it's very dangerous because if you believe in a fixed state of wellness and then you you become ill then you believe in a fixed state of illness that you're not going to get out of so it helps I mean what 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 do you think got you out you 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 had your dip in February what got you out what helped um, get you through that what helped me was to tell like my cl- absolute closest three people so like my boyfriend and my two best friends how I felt exactly how I felt the fact that I was not safe near any given window and that I I needed wow. I needed some sort of like some 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 sort of intervention and they got me to a doctor who put me on meds for the first time and so I was put on these like temporary uh, anti-anxiety meds I'd never been on them before even with all of my shit that I've been saying about destigmatizing mental health I still thought no you know cuz meds mean that I'm I'm fixing the <sighs> symptom not the cause and right, yeah. I've definitely revised that thought of just like, yeah. sometimes they just get you through the emergency, just like yeah. any painkiller. That's yes, what they exactly. are. They're a painkiller. And so yeah. I used them, you know, in the process of my leg healing, you know, I would take a painkiller. <laughs> and so I did the same thing for my brain. It completely just numbed me out. So I was able to kind of sail through that moment. And then when I was ready, I've now gone back into therapy or I'm trying like hypnosis and a couple of different things. And I now have the people to call, know how to approach this, know how to talk about it and know how to understand my own shame. Because I think even just recognising your own inner bully's thoughts is like an unbelievable superpower. When you I can identify the difference between a bully and, and the truth. Yeah, yeah. I think that is yeah. just a magnificent gift that you normally only get from experience. And so that's how I was able to get out. It was meds temporarily. And then, although if I'd stayed on them, also great. And I will always go back to them now if anything like that ever happens again. Um, if I get trolled by the world. Um, but... But I think the amount of heat you were getting at that point, I think was mad. almost anyone it yeah. would have had some mental toll on it. And I think anyone who would say otherwise would be lying because I just think... I couldn't even grieve my friend's death. Like I couldn't, this woman that I've known for such a long time and like whether or not we always agreed on everything, like I cared about her. No, I know, I know, I know, because you you messaged me on that day. We were somehow in contact, yeah. and you just heard, and you were like genuinely, genuinely, emotionally devastated by that. And then yeah. to see what happened next and all that crap, yeah, no, and, and it's just, and what's worse is people are monetizing, um, you know, the, this damaging other people's mental health, aren't they? They, there's people who are just literally their job it is is to pick on a different. Uh, person in the public eye and it's not oft, mainly women it's very often marginalized groups and then they're just doing their thing and and getting applauded for it and yeah you know, preaching to their converted I kind of feel like I kind of feel like they're kind of a little bit like the dark the darker forces within it kind of want to push us over the edge to suicide or to that kind of Britney Spears 2007 like meltdown that she was fully pushed towards by I mean every force possible. I think they almost yeah. want that because then they get to sell more papers grieving us, you know, suddenly yeah. martyring us and talking only positively about us to quickly cover up the fact that they drove us to that point. I'm talking about just those yes. of us in the public eye. Um, yeah, I've always been so open about my mental health history. So to watch the way that very, very powerful men in this industry and women went after me, yeah. I was like, oh, you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. You know that this yeah. is not sustainable for one human being and this comes from nothing. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. How do you feel about the kind of the state of social media right now? I'm having to step back like at like, times where I'll post, but I will not read because I'm too depressed by the screaming. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and, you know, to be brutally honest, it, the, it, it can come from anywhere, that screaming. You know, it, it can just be a symptom of being on social media. Yeah. You know, one, one, just as it's dangerous when you're mentally ill to believe you're well, it's almost dangerous sometimes to think that there's a, a, a loyal tribe of people who stick together on social media because it can be so fickle. And yeah. so things, can, things can change in an instant. And you, you can, and what, what's really annoying is someone doesn't know you or where you're coming from and you will, you will tweet your, your 10 words or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's a bit ambiguous and it's open to interpretation. And then someone, with a lot of followers somewhere else we'll, we'll take the worst possible interpretation of it and then your timeline for the next four days is just people saying the same angry point over and over and over and over again and even if they've got a legitimate point it kind of gets annoying and depressing when it's the same point that people are making 10,000 times over and that's just the mechanics of social media i think that's why it's different you know when people say oh well people have always been like this people have always had different um heated political debates it's always been the same i think there's something about the numbers the sheer quantity of of things and things we're seeing which is fundamentally bad for our brains i think it's tribal I think it's a tribal thing. I really do. Like, I really think that often people are saying shit. And you know what? I say this as a former troll. I'm a reformed troll. I'm a reformed... <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I'm a reformed arsehole. You know? <laughs> I didn't know I, you I'm, were. I, I've, I've said horrible things on the internet. I mean, I mean, I like to think mainly to horrible people who are saying horrible things, but... I still, I still never felt good when I was doing that. When, no. I don't think, I don't think anyone feels good when they're putting out that most negativity because there's a way to have causes and there's a way um to you know have issues where it's about positivity and boosting things up and boosting marginalized people and you know i've sometimes i've I've, i'd like i've referred to someone online as a looking and behaving like a freshly wanked cock which i thought was funny (laughs) at the time but even i look back and i'm like was that the most constructive way to make my point about the way in which they were treating marginalised people? Nope. Um, you know, so I definitely, you know, but I was a proper troll. I used to just be such a scathing little bastard about celebrities or people or politicians uh, in a way that really had no actual end goal. But it didn't make me feel better. I just, I was yeah. just, I was externalising my own unhappiness. So I was just projecting on the easiest possible target where I don't have to deal with the repercussions because they're not standing in front of me. They're never going to see me. I'm never going to meet them. Um, but where I was getting to with the tribal thing is that, you know, it's this ne- it's this fear. We now speak out about things often that we don't care about just because we want to make sure that other people know that we're on the right side of that conversation. So we'll see someone trolling or like just piling on and we'll be like fuck yeah. I better join that pylon because if I'm not safe within the pylon then I'm outside of the pylon uh, where I am no longer safe and so yes. I feel like we sometimes join into pylons of things that we don't care about and we speak so passionately but we don't really give a fuck no and it's careful of that if you're someone who's doing that because you're afraid of the optics because you're afraid of the unsafety yeah. of being on the outside so if I don't vocally speak out about this thing obviously there are things that we all need to speak out about yeah. that are just basic human proper rights when it's for equality yes. but when it's something that you're just like a bit where someone's yes. done something that isn't cool or trendy or they're worth mockery like do you have to join in or are you doing that for the safety of being in the in crowd 
because I have this sort of reputation for calling shit out when I see it, people now, yeah. whenever anything's going on, are like, can you please speak out about this? And it's like, if you are telling me to speak out about it, then that means you are already <sighs> aware of it. And what's wrong with it? I'm not the punisher. I'm not coming in here to like behead all these like public figures who've done <sighs> something wrong. I try to call attention to things that other people haven't noticed yet. Right, yeah. I'm not here to pile on. So when people, th- when I'm being silent about things that are clearly all over the fucking newspapers, someone's being told, given what for, they've already maybe even responded. I'm not going to speak out about that thing just so that I can show you that I care. I just recognise no. that my voice isn't now necessary because it's out there. We all know what's wrong with it. We've taken it down. The think pieces already exist. This idea that I now need to show my medal of solidarity <laughs> is something that exists within our entire generation now. It's like, you don't need to join in if the point has already been fucking made better by someone else. No, and actually it can be counterproductive because it it becomes a point where there's so much weight going in one direction, it lends sympathy um, to the target, you know? So so it's almost like, yeah, once attention's raised, there can be overkill and then, then your public shaming goes one step beyond and it's just like, you know, whatever has been said and done, it's like, okay, enough already, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. And I, I mean, I, even I get that. I mean, anything mental health related, I, I, I will get. And, and people with very good intentions, very nice things, and thinking that you haven't noticed something which has been all over the media or something. Or, or just by being silent, you're accused of being complicit in something um, necessarily. Like, for instance, at the last election, because I voted Green and not for the Labour Party in the UK, people thought, oh, well, he, he, I had the other day that I campaigned against Jeremy Corbyn. I didn't campaign against Jeremy Corbyn. I just happened to live in Brighton, so it made sense to vote for the Green Party, and I wanted an environmentalist candidate in bloody blah. But you, it's like it, it's like it, it, silence becomes loud, loud in people's heads yeah. that you haven't said something. And in cases like racial inequality, that makes sense. Like yes, there are that's areas true. where it is vital that we do add our voice and speak up. And if we're piling onto an institution rather than yeah. necessarily just an individual. If we're, if we're piling onto a system, yes. an institution, a political party, I think that's different because those people are actively not listening to us, which is why shit is still going on this far. But when it is an individual who has made a mistake, just yeah. ask yourself how much of a difference you're doing it and why you're doing it. And if it's to make yourself feel yeah. better or to make you look good, or if it's actually because you hope to educate and call that person in and out at the same time. Um, yeah, and... And often if it is something that uh, you, you care about, yeah. if it's a genuine issue you care about, and uh, you, you can actually just draw attention to the issue. Which I'm now I'm starting to try to do. Even this morning, I just I deleted my tweet, quote tweeting someone who'd done something offensive. And I was like, not even going to give it air. Please just support this charity yeah, that supports those people. It's like within two minutes, I was yeah. like, oh, fuck, I've done it again. I'm just creating okay. shit and articles <laughs> that don't need to be written and piling onto an individual, whereas actually yes. she's a product of an entire culture of hatred towards immigrants. Um, anyway, uh, I'm not even saying she specifically hates them. I don't know, but it wasn't great or very empathetic what she wrote. Um Please tell me before you go about your book, Midnight Library, and what it's about. Um, well, the Midnight Library is a library between life and death where a, a woman who, who has had her own mental health difficulties, she ends up doing something stupid and she ends up in this library between life and death. And all the books in the library are different versions of her life if she had lived her life a different way. It's such a good idea. I hate you so much. Oh, God, it's such a fucking amazing idea. It's the library that we all need. Sorry, I just had to say that. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) And she's um, got lots of regrets, so she has a chance to undo them. For instance, she was in a band, and in in one version of a multiverse, the band is an absolute massive international um, sensation. Um, She gave up swimming, and her dad really wanted her to swim, and she was an amazing swimmer. And in one life, she's got Olympic medals for swimming. In one life, she carried on with her science career and became a glaciologist in the Arctic Circle, uh, researching climate change. And there's all these lives she could have lived, whereas she's now stuck with her cat in Bedford, feeling unfulfilled and suicidal and like she's let lots of people down. And so it's got a little bit of It's a Wonderful Life and all that kind of stuff. Sliding doors and, yeah. Yeah, I think out of everything I've written, I'm sort of like, 
proudest of this because it's precisely what I wanted to write in that moment. And um, yeah, and people seem to be liking it. So I'm pleased. And I've heard only good things. I'm so excited to see whichever movie is going to be made of it. And if I could please just be at least (laughs) catering in that film, I'd be happy. I will put you you forward, (laughs) Jamila. Thanks. Um, I'm great at selecting snacks. Um, And so what I think is so interesting about the idea for this book is that you deal with regret and whether or not it's actually helpful or not. Where do you now like stand on that having written this whole book? Um, regret. Well, yeah, no, I was dogged by regret when I was depressed. I, I was regretting that I was depressed. I was regretting that I'd lived a life that had got me into that mess. And um, regret is a massive thing. Um, I, I still have a few little minor regrets. Like I gave up piano when I was, uh, 14 years old Same. and I, because, <laughs> and yeah. I wish I hadn't. And I've been doing a, a, a an app called, um, Simply Piano and trying to, uh, get, playing like I don't know Bohemian Rhapsody and stuff um but um no so I've got I've got tiny little regrets but I don't regret I don't regret the bad things I don't regret um I think regret you know the thing you should regret just like the only thing to fear is fear itself the only thing to regret is regret itself I think you can waste so much of your life consumed by what ifs and the thing is with what ifs you you have no idea if you'd have done something different what outcome that would have had you have no idea that the grass would really be greener if you'd have done this mm-hmm. or or if, if you'd have won that or if this or, or you'd have stayed with that person or whatever you have no idea how things could turn out I, I believe that most lives obviously people start life in different different positions and there's more privileged lives than others but I think most lives contain their fair share of trauma and sadness and but also their share of happiness and good things and contentment and love and thankfulness and you know we kind of have live to live life to learn how to live life and you know it's always a first draft and we're here to fuck up and we're here to sort of be there for each other and I just believe in sort of humans and forgiveness and learning I agree. Oh, I so agree. Progress, not perfection. It's the sort of mantra yes. of I way. It's everything that we care about. And, you know, and our perfection obsessed culture needs to understand that all of our great lessons, all of our great growth, all of our building happens in our mistakes. Everything I've ever learned, I learned from what I fucked up, never from what I just instantly achieved with totally. success. And so I'm a more interesting and pathetic and, you know, just sort of, I think, valuable person for the mistakes I was able to learn from rather than the things that just what I was naturally gifted with. Like when someone comes up to me and I remember once there's this like heartbreaking moment for me realising that I'm such a vacuous twat was I was at um, Latitude Festival over in England and I was um, watching a band play and this girl came up to me and she was so excited to see me and this is no shade to this young girl but she she was shaking and just like couldn't believe she was going to meet me and I I, she had this kind of visceral reaction where I thought she was going to be like your company collar means so much to me but she was just like you are Oh, my lipstick idol. And I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. I was in my 20s and I was like, shit, I'm someone's lipstick idol. I didn't even make that lipstick. I just put it on my already big mouth. Fuck, what am I putting out into the world? What am I not putting out? What is the meaning of my life? And uh, it like it shaped my existence. That moment shaped my existence. Where I just realised I didn't ever want to be called someone's yeah. lipstick idol ever again. Uh, I can be your fuck up idol. Thank you. But I can be your fuck up idol. By the way, I love lipstick. Happy if you like the way I look in it. But Christ, I want to, I'd like. Yes. I want to, I just want to mean more to even just my mates than that. I don't have to have an impact on the world. I just want to know I had an impact on my world. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's my goal. Anyway, I am. You are achieving that goal. And I weigh is achieving that. I I think I weigh is a great thing, you know, as, especially as a father now, I know that's such a cliche, isn't it? But like, you know, as my kids grow up, I, I, I so worry now they're hitting puberty and the future and all that toxic crap out uh, about body image and, you know, and it's subconscious, so much of it's subconscious, but the fact that you're, you're making it conscious and articulate and getting people to, to really, assess their value in, in in terms of valuable things rather than external crap that comes out of TV advertising and internet is fantastic. Thank you. Well, things. I love you loads. I think we could have an entire episode just telling each other all the reasons <laughs> we love each other. Matt Haig, thank you so much for everything that you put out into the world and for how incredible you are and just what a source of integrity and honesty and just a light of hope and growth 
You are one of my favourite people. I could spend an entire hour telling people why. I think they get the gist after having listened to this. Thank you for being so honest and thoughtful on this podcast. And I hope that you come back to us again soon. Thank you. I definitely will if I'm allowed. Thank you. Always allowed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's I Weigh. I would also like to thank the team which helps me make this podcast. My producers, Sophia Jennings and Kimmy Lucas, my editor, Andrew Carson, my boyfriend, James Blake, who made the beautiful music you are hearing now, and me for my work. At I Weigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, it's not in pounds and kilos, it's your social contributions to society or just how you define yourself in life. Here is a little message from one of our I Weigh listeners. I Weigh surviving over and over again. I Weigh being an unapologetic autistic woman. We exist. I Weigh doodling and music and learning to have fun. I Weigh adoring all animals. I Weigh being terrified of recovery and choosing it anyway. I Weigh refusing to be ashamed anymore. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service.